This morning, we're going to be in Psalm 8. Last week, we began a brand new series in which we just really kind of launched into by saying, uh, look, what are the Psalms? Uh, we, we, I think a number of us are familiar with Psalms. Even the Psalm that Paxton read this morning, Psalm 23, is a very familiar Psalm. That Psalm that Good Plans we sang is based around. We, we've, we've heard Psalms uh, in, in colloquialisms, in life, in conversations. We've heard them uh, at, at weddings and funerals and all these kinds of events that we go to. We've heard them in church for years. What are Psalms? Well, really, they're the, it's the hymn book of God's people. So much so that Jesus himself sang and prayed the words that we find in the Psalms that we read. And last week we talked about the organization of the Psalms and how in the Psalms you've got these five, five different books. And the first couple of Psalms introduce these books. And at the end there's all these praises and all these things. And really the main character of the Psalms is such that all of these hymns and poems are really constructed to reflect praise or lament. Now there's a lot of other more specialized categories within those two things. But specifically... Those are the two broadest categories that we find in the Psalms. And today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 8, that is a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of David, and it's a psalm of the praise of God for creation. When we read this psalm this morning, you're going to see this thought that David has, and it's quite existential. He's going to ask this big, profound question about his relationship with God and why God would even seek to have a relationship with him. And that question really comes up and gets stirred up because David finds himself feeling small. I want you to think about the last time that you felt small. And I don't mean in the sense that you were belittled, but I mean in the sense that you stood with some sort of measure of awe or grandeur, where you were involved with, where you got to be swallowed up in something greater than yourself. I want you to think about what that moment was like for you. I had one of those moments in college. Uh, I had a buddy who was a really good friend of mine who was a missionary uh, in Egypt and spent a lot of time in Cairo and Alexandria. Uh, and I got the opportunity uh, when he was home on furlough, I, I flew with him. We went over there uh, for a couple of weeks. So I got to go spend time in Egypt. Sounds very biblical, but I went Atlanta through Minneapolis to Amsterdam, and so it was a different path, all right? While I was there, not only did I get the opportunity to see his work in the mission field, but I got to do the touristy thing, which was I got to go to the pyramids. I got to see the pyramids. Incredible, like absolutely incredible. To stand in a spot where I just read about or heard about, a place where I never thought I would visit. I, did, I grew up in Leeds, by the way, right? This, I'm, not, I'm not like wonder of the world material here. This was an amazing event. And it really, in so many ways, for me, put into perspective how small I was and am. But I think more than that, you and I probably have a similar moment that we all share in which we all feel small. And it's a moment that we share with David, king and shepherd, that David. We share this with him. I love this about living in Chelsea. The light pollution is so little out here. 
in certain places. And so if I walk onto our back porch or into our square little backyard, and I don't have the back porch lights on, I can look up, and I can get lost in the sky and the moon and the stars, right? You can really see them clearly. And if you take a moment to be there in it and sit in creation and see what God has made, in certain ways you'll feel small too. You'll recognize your frailty. This is where David finds himself. And it brings him to this place of praise and of wonder and of contemplation. And what we're going to see in this passage today as we read Psalm 8 is incredible means by which we can praise God in his creation and learn how to think about him, relate to him, and worship him fully. This is Psalm 8. It begins in this way. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen. And also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord to which we say together. Thanks be to God. Here's what we're going to see in this passage today. Three big things in the midst of David's story in the psalm that he addresses to the Lord. Number one. As he praises God for creation, the praise of God for creation is going to reveal truly the story of salvation. We're going to see that in Psalm 8 in these three ways. Number one, the character of God. The character of God. Second, the care, the concern, the love of God. And three, Christ as creator and redeemer. Christ as creator and redeemer. We're going to see these things in Psalm 8 and it's tied to the uh, numerous scriptures that it references. So number one, this is a psalm of praise. David is praising God for creation. And this psalm is utterly unique, uh, different than all of the other praise psalms, so 19 and 29 and 137 and all the other different psalms that are categorized as psalms of praise. This one is terribly unique in the sense that all of those other psalms of praise speak of God. So even think about Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David is speaking in this psalm, but he's speaking of God. This is the only psalm of praise that is spoken directly to God, that addresses him completely and in every way. That's how it's going to teach us how to think about God, relate to God, and pray to God. And I think the most helpful way to really see uh, not only these three things, but to kind of walk through this is, to, is in a linear path, just kind of verse by verse, we're going to walk through this and try to do it as quickly as we can to see what this passage reveals to us, how we can see God's character and his care, and then Christ as the one who creates and redeems. So let's look at verse 1. 
O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the first phrase. Now David here uses the name of God to reveal the very nature of God. Something's happening in this refrain when he says, O Lord, our Lord. Two things specifically. Number one, when he uses this word Lord, he's demonstrating that God, the creator of all, is sovereign over all. That he is the Lord, that he is in charge, that he is in control of everything that exists. Of all of creation, he is sovereign over it. Additionally, in his creation, he is vastly beautiful and full of incredible character. Now that might be hard to see here. But what David's doing is he's recognizing God as creator, but in doing so, he reveals his character. Look at what it says, how majestic is your name in all the earth. In creation, God's character is majestic, meaning that he's lofty and high. So he's grand. But that word majestic means more than that. It also means that he's splendid. It also means that he's good. I can't think of a better hymn to lead into this than holy, 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 perfect in power, love, and purity. That's essentially the essence of what this passage is saying. It's not only that God is in charge of everything, that he's sovereign, that he's creator, that he's perfect in power, but also that he's majestic, meaning that he is, he is beautiful in his love, in his purity. So in creation... We not only see what God has done, but we see who he is. And those who are in Christ are not only filled at the wonder of creation, but also are able to worship God for who he is. Additionally, you see God's power and sovereignty on display in the latter part of verse 1. It says this, you've set your glory above the heavens. And then look at verse 2. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. And here's where we see God's sovereignty, his plan, his control, and additionally, his power and his character. It's in this way. God is using the very thing in creation that seems weak, that seems powerless. A lot of people in this room have a baby, had a baby, know a baby, right? Friends with a baby, you know? Here's the thing about babies. They are powerless. needy. They can't do anything for themselves. I'm not putting babies down here. I'm just saying this is how it is. What we have is a picture of the thing that is most easily overcome, the thing that is most easily diminished, the thing that is most easily able to be overthrown, and it's that very thing that God uses to still the enemy and the avenger. God is using the things that are weak to confound the things that are strong. We're getting a picture of the character of God and who he is. He's going to overcome through things that are seemingly overcome themselves. In addition to the character of God that we see in verses 1 and 2, we also see in verses 3 through 8 in this next passage, or next portion of the passage rather, how much God cares 
for his people. How much God actually cares for his people, the intentionality of God in creation. These verses in a radical way display that you are not an accident. And that you haven't been left to your own devices. That God has a distinct purpose for you. Look into verse 3 and this is the overwhelming awe of God's creation. David says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. He knows that the very moon that hangs above him, the very stars that are above him, they've been spoken into existence by God. And so here, what's happening in this psalm, it's really just a giant echo of Genesis 1, the creation narrative and the history of the world. That the moon and the stars not only reveal God's power, but they reveal his person. They reveal his character and his care for people. And look at the intentionality here. These are the work, these things are the work of his fingers. Now, all throughout Scripture, we get a reference for, and we, we probably understand this idea of things being God's handiwork, right? But here, David describes it down to the digits. He's saying literally that God's fingers to the tip of him is involved in everything in creation. He's intricately involved in creation. This is not a God who is speaking things into creation and just leaving them. No, he, he is intricately involved in all these things. And the result for David is this. It's all. But all goes somewhere. When you stand in, in the, if you stand in your backyard tonight and you turn off all the lights or you find yourself in a place where you can see the stars, I don't know if it's going to be clear or not, so I don't predict the weather, but if you can see the stars, if you can see the moon, and you stand there and you can be in creation for a few moments, standing underneath all that God has made, it'll drive you and take you to this place of awe. But then likely, if you find yourself there, there's a place you go next. The place after awe is the place of wonder. It's the place of contemplation. It's the place where you start to say, I see this. But I'm here too. So what does this mean for me? David asked this question. So this human question of all, he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Look at verse 4. And the son of man that you care for him. Two big words that help us understand how this works. Number one we ask the question, what is man that you are mindful of him? That word mindful means to remember. It signifies that God has acted according to his thoughts. Now something really big is happening in this moment. Listen to what David's saying. He's saying, who am I that you remember me? And effectually what David is saying is this. God, who am I that you've thought of me and you've acted according to thinking of me? That you've act, acted on your thoughts. That, God, you specifically have thought of me. Like Psalm 139 and others, this is a picture of the fact that, indeed, you are not a cosmic accident. You, individually, you are in God's thoughts, that he has thought of you, 
that he's created you in his image with purpose. You did not merely happen. Here's the second thing that's important to see. And the Son of Man, and listen to this language, that you care for him. The word care here, um, perhaps a better, a, a, a better way to frame this for us to understand and, and, and really look at the original language is to see this. That that word care means something really personal. It does mean a measure of affection. It does mean concern for another. But more specifically, it means to visit. It means to attend to. It means to make one's presence felt with another. And specifically, this word throughout the Old Testament was used in such a way where it communicated this. It indicated divine intervention that changes the destiny of people. So go to Genesis 21. This is God seeing Sarah. God seeing Sarah in her need. Whenever this word is used... It indicates this visitation where God comes to a person. This is how David sees God. Not as one who created us and left us to be in an ambivalent or an apathetic way. No. But God is one who comes to us and visits us and meets us and as a result transformed us. That's going to be really, really important for the latter part of this. Now, look at verses 5 and 6. We see the lead into 7 and 8 as well, but the whole point of this passage and this, this portion of Psalm 8 helps us understand that God has bestowed honor and purpose on humans. This is the measure to which he cares for us. He's given dominion to us over the world that he's created. Look at what it says. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. So God in his creation of us has invited us into, has put us in a place where we participate in his sovereign rule. Where we have an opportunity to live in such a way that under his lordship we take care of the things that he has created. This echoes Genesis chapter 1. If you look at Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 28. You remember these words and the way that dominion is described from the very beginning. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So in verses 5 through 8, David is saying this is the care that God has for us, that he would involve us in his rule over all creation. And that he would long for us to be a part of subduing the creation that he has made. This gives us a picture of our purpose. To live in such a way where we emulate God the creator and love others and care for others and care for the world that he has made to picture and show ultimately to live out the gospel to help people believe it. To help people see how good 
God is. And in verse 9, you see the refrain that echoes verse 1. It's the same. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When David begins to praise God for creation, he's caught up in the character of who God is. But he contemplates with depth the reality of the fact that God who made everything made him and cares for him individually and uniquely. And the more he thinks about that, it just takes him right back to praising God like he did in the beginning. And what we see here in so many ways is not just an echo of Genesis 1, but ultimately the story of Jesus and salvation as well. We take Psalm 8 and we read it in light of all of Scripture. The canon of Scripture and Christian history and all of these things that we find that, that happen with the people of God and who Jesus is and what he's done in his life, death, and resurrection, we see that Psalm 8 points to him so Clearly, this is Genesis 1-1, and you're very familiar with it. In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. John's gospel phrases it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. You know what that means? That means this one, O Lord, our Lord, this Lord who is sovereign... Jesus creator redeemer yes but also creator so when we read from Genesis 1 let us make man in our image that our is the three persons of the one true God the father the son the spirit Jesus doesn't come onto the page at the genealogy that we find in Matthew 1 no he's in Genesis 1 he's here from the beginning the very origin all things were made through him, and without him, not anything made was made. Look at verse 2. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Do you know how the world has been overcome? Do you know how sin and death have been thwarted? Through a baby. It's through the incarnation of our Lord Jesus that enemies have been stilled, that avengers have been silenced, that order has been restored, that God has redeemed his people. It's through Jesus and what he has done. And look at verses 3 and 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, is the things that Jesus has done, along with Father and Spirit speaking into existence. Look at verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. You know what's wild here? One is this language of son of man, which is meant to, to, to say humans. But there's a specific passage in Daniel that describes one son of man who would come, the Messiah. And you know how he would come? He would visit us. You know how he would visit us? This is John chapter 1, verse 14. Look at what it says. John chapter 1, verse 14. This is how 
Jesus would visit us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's the Son that gives life. It's the Son. It's Jesus. It's the Son of God who takes place, who takes the place of the Son of Man that has broken and ruined our relationship with God because of our sin. It is Jesus who redeems us. The author of Hebrews knew this. This is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 10. And he quotes this passage in David's words very specifically to help us understand and see how this points directly to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It's been testified somewhere. What is man that you were mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. That's the character, that's the sovereignty of God. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels namely jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of god he might taste death for everyone for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now that is a lot, but here's what's happening in this moment. This psalm, Psalm 8, is pointing directly to Jesus. He is this one who was made lower than the angels. He took on our flesh for a little while to suffer and to bring us to salvation through his life and his death and his resurrection. Amen? This is what he has done for us. And we're drawn into this through the praise of God at creation. Because when we see creation, we don't just see what has been done, we see who's done it. And this is who has done it. The triune God, Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The praise of God for creation that we see here. The praise of God for, for what he's done in making the world in which we live reveals the story of salvation. We see the character of God, the care of God, and Christ as creator and redeemer. So what do we do with this? What do we do with all this? There's a lot here. Four very simple and specific things I want to encourage you with today. Number one, and this is going to sound nuts, but get outside. Get outside, and it'll help you get outside yourself. Now look, I'm not... I'm not like the most indoor guy, but I ain't the most outdoor guy either, all right? I'm not going hiking in this. Anybody want to go hiking this afternoon after church? Yeah, me neither, all right? But here's what I will tell you. We got a lot of us that kind of have this like Netflix video game tan, right? We're pale. We're a people of the indoors. And we live these futile lives where the brightest light that we see is blue light. And that's not good. I bet you see the light on that phone that you hold in front of you more than you see most regular lights. Man, you want to go get some perspective in life and, and, and embrace God and be drawn to the place of the praise of his creation? Man, get outside. 
go see the world that he's made and go stand and go feel small. And then in the midst of that feeling, though, that you're loved and that you're cared for, God's created you in his image, he's drawn you into his purpose, and you get to be a part of life in who God is through Jesus. Amen? And it's also going to help you get away from the way that you think that you're so important, you have to be tethered to that thing because everybody needs you and everybody's got to have you and you're the most, no, no, no. Go be with the one person who made you. And get outside yourself. Second, live the quiet life of dominion. Uh, I, would, I would encourage you with these words. Paul would say this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, I, I'll just kind of pick up in the middle of verse 10. He's talking to these brothers and sisters about the love that they have for one another. And he's saying, love each other more and more. And then he says in verse 11, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about being caught up in the purpose of God, which is to have dominion. To go live a quiet life, not a silent life, not a life where you don't tell people the good news of Jesus, but a life in which you go do the things that you do to the glory of God, and you praise Him, and people see that. And as you emulate God and love and, and take care of His creation, as you have babies, and as you raise kids, and as you run restaurants, and as you make concrete, and as you do all the things that you do that God has uniquely gifted you to do and that He's drawn you into, man, you, you, you get to help the world see the Creator. Third, visit others in love so that God may intervene. And we're to be people that go to other people because Christ has come to us. We're to be the people that visit others, that see others, that exist in a world that they feel is bigger than them and has swallowed them up and they're not seen or they don't matter. Man, we're to go to them, to go to visit them so that they can see Jesus who's come to really visit them. Amen? Fourth and finally, and we've got an opportunity to just praise God continually every time we step out into creation. And could we be the kind of people that God transforms in such a way that I can't help but walk out into the world, rain or shine, and see all, that's God made, all that God has made and let it reflect the good news of Jesus, that he has come for me. We're going to take a moment uh, and have an opportunity this morning to celebrate um, divine intervention, God coming to visit us. Uh, and I'm going to have Paxton and Clay come, and, and they're going to help serve table this morning. We're going to get to serve communion together. Um, again, I want to tell you, like, you're going to look at these elements this morning, and, and you're going to see what you should see. You're going to see bread and juice, right? You're going to see bread and cup. But this morning, don't, don't, don't see these elements as just food and drink. Don't just see it as solid and liquid. See this, see this as divine intervention. That God came to visit you. Because this is your story. And it's mine too. That I was broken. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And that God, being rich in mercy, sent his son Jesus Christ. So that I can be reconciled to him by the blood of his cross. That's the good news of the gospel. And I don't know where you are and what you've walked through this week or, or just what life feels like right now. You might even be in a place where you just lately, 
or recently you don't feel seen. Brother or sister, God sees you. He has visited you. He has come to you. In a moment, you get to come taste and see how good he truly is. Before we do that, I want to share with you, um, truly, the way Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians 11, I think it's really important for us to, to hear these very specific words about how we are to experience and to enjoy God's good gifts in communion. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and it says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this action, the thing that we're going to do is we eat and we taste of this bread and we drink this cup. This is what we're doing. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We're proclaiming something very specific, that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. That is what you proclaim. And so this would be my instruction and my invitation to you. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, whether you're a member of, of this local body or not, come. Come, taste and see. Come, enjoy communion. Second, if you do not know Jesus, if you've not trusted in him, if you've not repented in him, do not come and, and, and taste of this. Instead, go to Jesus, the one who has come to you. Trust in him, believe in him, repent of your sins, and then taste and see of his goodness. Amen? If you will stand and let's pray together and come to the table. Heavenly Father, truly you exhibit your care for us, and we see in creation, Father, your character, who you are, the way that you love us, your majesty, that you are perfect in power and love and purity. And Father, this morning, we see these elements as a picture of the way that you care for us, that you love us. That in Jesus we are created and also redeemed. Father, help us in this moment to come to the table with brothers and sisters to do so joyfully as we recognize that you have come to us because you're mindful of us. You care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You come as you're ready.